Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hello, I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so glad to have you for episode 40. It is called False Choices, the Use of Man by Man, 19th Century Capitalism Part 2. We are also going to talk about U.S. women who are looking to have babies abroad. Why? We're going to tell you in just a few minutes. Sonia, what's going on? It's a beautiful day in Atlanta today. Have you been outside? Yes, I have. Um, I know that, yeah, you were talking about after this going to the pool. To me, yeah. it is beautiful, but it's really hot. It's still hot for me. Yeah. At least that's how I feel. I'm looking forward to it cooling down a bit, actually. Yeah, fall, fall is definitely right around the corner. Um, I But I felt a little bit of that break in the air today. I don't know oh, if you, you did. It's yeah. breezy. Okay. You know, it's like feels like there's a little breeze, a little bit of a cool break in the air. So it's coming. It's coming soon. And I'm like squeezing the last bit of pool time out of this. Of the summer. <laughs> yes, exactly. As much as I can. Yeah, because we're going to go in September here pretty soon. Crazy, yeah. man. Crazy how time flies. I mean, sheesh. It'll be our second year anniversary soon. Wow. <laughs> Before we it's know nuts. it. Yeah. So um, what is new with you? Cool. I, I've got some really exciting stuff happening. Um, I'm actually starting a new job this week, um, which I'm really, really excited about. These these folks are in my neighborhood. I can walk to work every day, which is great. And um, low key considering. Well, I'm definitely doing some. Going to start doing some side work where I help people organize their homes, their kids' playrooms, their closets, their businesses in a way that's really functional and beautiful. And I've done it before. And I'm just now realizing like it, it's a perfect side business. So I'm kind of excited about that, Sonia. It's like, yeah, good. New beginnings, man, it's really exciting. That is cool. Here's cheers to Lacey. <laughs> Yay! We'll cheers each other with our water. <laughs> What about you? Do you have anything exciting going on? Anything yourself? No, nothing specific. I think in my case, I would say because there's so much happening in the world, which we know that's kind yeah. of like if you watch news, we all know there's some just depressing things between COVID, Afghanistan. Um, yeah, I think I'm trying to appreciate just that we have freedom or just a moment to, you know, just simple things in life. You know, if you can go get a cup of coffee or you can just lay in your bed for an hour, like it's just basic um, things that we take for granted that a lot of people don't have. So that's it's what I'm so celebrating. <laughs> you know? I love that. That's not a small thing to celebrate. I mean, I, I think I found recently that when I when I've woken up, like I've done this recently, I've just like started to think like, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for this. And it really, man, it changes the whole, my whole day, you know, like the whole uh, trajectory of my day and kind of like my mood. And so, I don't know, I think it's really helpful when we can find a space to, to find those things that are, and most of the time it's crazy. Like what, what you're saying, like I can sleep in the bed and I can rest. It's really simple. The things yeah, that we yeah. actually are thankful for. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I just think um, it puts into perspective. I mean, it's, I think our lives, I mean, in the modern world, we have so much going on, you know, and there's stress and there's just, you're doing this and doing that, but it's easy to forget that we do have things that 
we just, you know, can walk outside and not be worried about getting bombed or something, you know? Yeah. Um, so those are freedoms that, yeah, we should really appreciate because we know not everybody in the world has that. You know? Well, you know, this is something we did not mention in our last episode and the whole thing in Afghanistan was starting. And I think part of maybe where you're getting, you know, you're getting this idea of like, hey, we can walk down the street and we don't have to worry about like a bombing happening. I've heard some really sad just so heartbreaking stories about what's happening in Afghanistan right now. And of course it feels horrible that really the U S started all this. Like we went in there, we yeah. made this and we made it. It's even worse now like that we've left, you know? Yeah. It's a long, long war, 20 years. I know you could go on either side to debate it. I was thinking about it today, like what I wanted to say about it. And I think, what bothers me is that there aren't easy answers to these situations. They're very complex issues. Mm. But with all our, our intelligence and the money that is spent, well, it's always about money, is you think that mm. we could do a better job as not only just the states, which the states is, you know, in there, but as a world, like we could have better mm. solutions, you know? Yeah. I know Rome was very anti-war, but when you think of like women having to go back to live in a life where they're have to, you know, they're not educated. They have to cover themselves up. It's just like a regression yeah. to the past, you know, which is so sad. And like you said, it's the humanitarian crisis. So I mm -hmm. hope that, um, you know, that as a world, we get our act together. It's yeah. Just, yeah. I hope we'll help a lot of refugees at this point. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, you know, I do find it, ironic uh that we you know went in there to you know end the taliban's you right. know re regime and look what here we are and they're in control again like exactly and some of the things that i've heard in the news recently has been that like from inside sources they've said we had like zero real plans going in there of like what we really needed to do wanted to do what we were accomplishing and so it really does make me think a lot about why do we actually do war? And it goes back to the money thing and the greed thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, war doesn't solve any problems. Like I've, we've mentioned this before on the podcast. It's silly. It's just death. It's destruction. Mm -hmm. It's what Fromm mentions whenever we can't fulfill the need to transcend. See previous episodes if you want to know more about this. Mm -hmm. um, we will either create if we can't fulfill the need to, to transcend via creation, mm -hmm. we will do it via destruction. And so this is exactly what we're seeing in Afghanistan and with our own, with our own army. Yeah, I agree with you, Lacey. It's um, I was going to point out something else. I think from might mention is we always try to import democracy. And I know those are our ideals and values, but we don't think about how, our mm. culture and our world is we can just import it into these other worlds. Yeah. I mean, it's not that easy, obviously. <laughs> and yeah. it may, and it may not be the answer everywhere. Yes. I think that is a huge, uh, you know, thing that we can all think about just because a way works for us. Well, does not mean a way that we do that, that, that way is going to work well for, fill in the blank country. And I think there's a question to consider whose responsibility is it to go in there and build, you know, the structure of a society. I think it, you know, it's a way it's going to be much more um, sustainable if, 
it's something that they are taking ownership mm-hmm. of. Sure, and if, sure. if it's something that we're coming in, if we want to be a part of it, we come in and we support them on whatever. It is. But if we do it for them, this is this is the, exactly what happens. We leave and it falls apart. Trucks, you know. Yeah. So uh, oh, super yeah, sad. So my thoughts are with the yeah, with people over there. That yes, yes. Um, I think there's some ways locally. I've been doing some research to help families mm-hmm. who are being who are yes. refugees coming here. So that's something I've thought about doing. Um, Another thing is we did an episode where uh, we talked about some soldiers who had been in Afghanistan. Yes, we did. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember which episode that was. It was. Um, I don't recall which one, uh, but, you know, it highlighted two soldiers like when they went the first time they went and well, the time they went and then when they return um, many years later or something, it was was the time later, a number of years later, maybe it was 10 years. But yeah, we looked at their life, how it changed. I yeah. want to say we recorded that in June sometime. So if any, if folks want to check that out, it's it's like a intro discussion, um, okay. not not a primary like title of the episode. So you have to little search a little bit, but uh, check that out because it's super enlightening. And they and those soldiers um, really felt like I think they well they expressed that they felt discouraged that you know it's like what was this all for. And I've heard that mental health is an issue for a lot of these soldiers right now who are who were a part of this war for the last 20 years. And then now it's like, what did we do? What was the point? Yeah. PTSD. Yeah. I was trying to look it up. But if you go on to our um, account and check us out, Spotify or any of the ones that you listen to your podcast, you'll find it. Yep. And you can also go to rethinkinghumanity.us. Right. Click through the episodes for June um, and you'll find it there. Um, Yeah. Let's uh, let's, you know, see if you guys if if you enjoy listening to that um, alongside all the news around this right now, that'd be great to hear. Well, uh, we want to talk also a little bit about an article before we get into our main content today uh, that we read. Actually, I found it in The Guardian. I can't remember why. I Googled this, but I did. Okay. Uh, I Googled something and I found this article. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. And so um, it's called Women, I'm sorry, The Reverse Birth Tourist. Thank you, Victor, our awesome technical producer, popping it up on the Yay. screen. The Reverse Birth Tourist US Women Seek Cheaper Countries to Have Babies. Guys, <laughs> women are going out of the country. We're looking to leave the U.S. to have babies. Why? Because it's so expensive. Sonia, have I mentioned this to you about myself personally ever before? Do you recall? Yes, many times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not interested in having a child and definitely not interested in having a child here. I've Exactly. I've said to people, I'm like, I don't want to have kids. However, the only way I would change my mind is if I was living in another country where the cost of living was lower, where the social safety net was better, uh, all of those things. And then I stumble upon this article and one of them, one of these, actually, I'm going to open it up. Actually, Victor, will you scroll back down to the bottom with the lady, uh, the last picture of the lady kind of standing up in the mountains or whatever? Yeah. Right. There. She says, I don't understand how people function in America. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I know. I'm, That's a great line, huh? 
Yes. So I want to give some facts from this article. And then there's a little section I want to read. And then, of course, Sonia, I obviously want to hear your thoughts, too. OK. The average um, costs of uh, the average out of po- pocket costs for people with insurance in the U.S. to have a baby is forty five hundred dollars and forty five hundred sixty nine dollars. That's with insurance. That's the average out-of-pocket cost, which means you're probably looking at between five and ten grand. Like mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. The, the U.S. is the only high-income country that doesn't mandate paid maternity leave, has less paid time off, longer work weeks than most other developed countries, and infant care is over fifteen thousand dollars a year in some parts of the country. Wow. Crazy. Craziness. Uh, This is the best country on the planet, isn't it? (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah. And I I, listen, I don't mean anything negative towards the U.S. in in a way of like, I hate the U.S. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have to destroy this idea that we are the best country on the planet and realize that there are better ways to do some things. Because if we think we are the best country on the planet, we won't even think about that we might be able to do things differently or better. True. Yes. Um, so I'll put my two cents in, then you can read this part, Lacey. Yeah. We, yeah. Lacey and I spoke about this last night. So the big issue for me, I think this kind of bleeds into our idea of universal health care. In our country, um, you can't get sick. You can't have a problem because no matter what your wealth is, unless you're just incredibly wealthy, uh, most of us have to struggle to say, wow, can I even afford to go to the doctor, let alone have a child? And I think it says a lot about society, how we are not pro-family, that we don't support women Mm. and families who are bringing life into the world that will be people that will grow up to be human beings, adults that are going to be having jobs taking care of us. (laughs) So um, whether they, it doesn't matter, they could become a doctor, a mechanic, they could be an artist. These are all individuals that are part of our society. So it doesn't say much to me that we don't value um, the family enough to support women and men uh, for maternity leave, paternity leave, um, costs yep. of childcare, costs of pregnancy and birth. It's just a no brainer. So this article to me is just like, well, depressing that it's not, you know, that we don't have those same, I guess, um, benefits. Yeah. That's what I will say. <laughs> well, and when we start to read some of these, uh, like the accounts, because it talk, it gives those facts and then it has like, I guess you could say the word testimonials, but just stories of people who live in other countries and have babies and what their costs are. And then you start to go, holy shit, like this is for real. This is like no joke, a real, a real bad thing. And one of the folks was like, look in this, in our country, I think it's New Zealand. Uh, it's like, we look at it as it's an investment in our society. And and I love this point with our podcast because we talk a lot about society, right? And mental health and, you know, the sane society and do we have a sane society and all those things. And to me, it makes perfect sense that when you invest in the people in your society, you're going to have a healthier, better society. And when you don't, you're not, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm a, I'm on board with that idea. <laughs> Let me read this first part. It's Sarah Samaranos, 31, marketing professional. She's in France. 
I was expecting to pay thousands of euros. She says, on giving birth abroad. In the US, I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was tired and I felt cheated. I had put in all this hard work. I finished my education like I was told to, put the hours in. I'm getting all this praise from my supervisors. So why is nothing moving? So I applied for a master's program in marketing in France. That's where I met my husband, a Frenchman from Normandy. When it came time to deliver my twins, we ended up having to go to the emergency room because something just felt off. I still had this really American fear of costs and was mentally doing the tally. Listen to this, because I totally resonated with this. Even as I'm in labor, not the labor part, but the tally. (laughs) (laughs) The entire time I'm thinking, okay, they've given me this medicine. Add that to the bill. I had an emergency C-section. Add that to the bill. I needed a bag of blood. Add it to the bill. I also had a private room with three square meals, a lactation consultant to teach me how to breastfeed, and someone who came in to teach us how to do the first bath. And in my head, all of that was going on to the tally. When the nurses started giving diapers and formulas and formula because my milk hadn't come in, I told my husband, no, 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 go around the corner and buy diapers and formula. I'm not paying for this. <laughs> that is, but I totally get it because it's like. Yeah, go buy the aspirin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the hospital. So here, this is the last paragraph. When it was time to leave the hospital, I told my husband, you go into the office and look at the bill. In my head, I was expecting to pay thousands of euros and was bracing for impact. And then he walked in and 30 seconds later, he walked out and I asked him, okay, how much was it? He said, darling, this is France. Get in the taxi. Total cost of childbirth, zero dollars. Zero. <laughs> I know that was good. I forgot about that. Yeah. Isn't that great? And by the way, she received uh, 100% of her current pay for maternity leave except times two because she had twins. How about them apples? Um, I don't, I think, Sonia, can you tell me how that's hurtful to our society for her to get money to to raise her kids? No, it just, it's it's healthy. I wonder, I wonder what she did. What do you think she did? You think she like just probably went out and bought some more diapers. (laughs) She probably spent it. I mean, geez, what a sin in a capitalistic society to spend money. It's a terrible idea to take care of people when they have a baby. Terrible. I know. Oh my goodness. That's, a, that's a great article. <laughs> Hope you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, guys. Oh yeah. All right. I, I get I get a little get bit. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. It's it's the message is is well received. Trust me. <laughs> can you can you relate to that when you had kids? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think. Um, I will tell you one other real quick point to that whole article yeah. is. Um, Think about people stuck in bad jobs. They yeah. can't leave the job because they say, oh, if I leave this job, I'm not going to have any insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's another thing that you're, uh, you know, you're beholden to the job. There's, there's so many parts of that. You could go in many directions, you know. Um, yeah. Somebody who's a stay-at-home parent says, oh, my God, that, you know, I don't even have a job. So there's just multiple, multiple yep. things. People who even want to contribute, have to find the child care. I mean, this is a conversation that you could go on for hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about because you being a nanny, you being a teacher, you can relate to all this. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's get into our content for the day. This is episode 40. It's called False Choices. 
and it is the use of man by man. We're finishing up the conversation around what capitalism was like in the 19th century. From suggests that it's very important for us to take a look at what the socioeconomic structure of our society is to know whether it's a sane society because our number one drive as human beings is to survive. And in order for us to survive in a capitalistic society, we have to produce uh, and consume, i.e. we have to make money. So whatever the system is around making money or producing and consuming is going to determine how we live our lives. And so that's why we're kind of going through what capitalism looks like. We've talked about 17th and 18th century capitalism. Capitalism. Now we've talked a little bit about 19th century and we're going to finish up 19th century capitalism today. So he starts out talking about feudal society, which of course is 19th century. In feudal society, of course, that was capitalistic. They were obligated to provide at least a minimum standard of living. There was a standard amount of human solidarity as well. It was like a system of mutual human obligation, and it was uh, governed by certain human conditions. Um, I'm sorry, that's feudal. That's not 19th century. That's before 19th century. Right, my, right. My apologies, my apologies. So so basically that there there is an understanding in the feudal society that we're talking about human beings. We're talking about more than just an exchange. We're talking right. about a quality of life that's a part of, you know, people agreeing to work on each other's behalfs, basically. Right. And then um, that starts to shift when we're going into the 19th century. Yes. Because, yes. because yeah, from does bring up um, the fact there's exploitation. And there's exploitation in all these systems, but when you're starting to go into the 19th century, the worker, or rather his labor, becomes a commodity. Yes. To be bought by the owner of capital, which is different than from what we were talking to before about the feudal society where there's a lord and he is, you know, has the right to demand services. But at the same time, there's customs and obligations that you're going to be the, the subjects of the lord are going to at least get the minimum to survive. Yes. Right. And, and they're going to be treated as humans and they're going to be not looked at as objects to be used mm -hmm. in, a, in a way that's degrading for them. And who cares how they're doing? That's not my responsibility. But, oh, I do care about how you're doing. That is part of my responsibility. And it's a part of our responsibility as a whole and as a community and as a society to take care of each other. That broke down in the 19th century. And... Uh, that breakdown of human solidarity is really what led to the exploitation and what you're saying, which is something you've said since I've known you, Sonia, since mm -hmm. I met you, is this transactional relationships is a phrase that you've used. And that's kind right. of the direction things went in the 19th century. Right. And the exploitation, I thought, was interesting because it says it was not personal anymore, but it had become anonymous. Mm -hmm. And that's that's pretty powerful. Um, so, because we're talking about the law of the market, and I told you previously that when I think of anonymous, I think of you don't think of a specific like a uh, person, but it's just the system that you're in. Yeah, For me, that's that's how I would define that, you know. Yeah, and that's how it worked. I mean, exploitation became the integral part of the societal structure, and there was nobody responsible 
for that. And folks just accepted it as like the iron law of society. Like, and if you think about it now, that's similar. Like we don't think about, wait a minute, like people are being exploited. Who's responsible? We're all responsible. Let's do something. It's like, oh no, that's just how things are. You know? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I agree with you. I think um, Frome is trying to show sort of this transition. And I think it's interesting because even though you're going through all the centuries, he's still you're still going to see the problems. It's not necessarily, which it's interesting when we get further into this, that we think it's going to get better. But mm. It doesn't necessarily get better. And one of the things that he says that in the 19th century happens is that, um, well, both 20th and 19th, but 19th century, it's based on the principle that's to be found in all class societies, which is the use of man by man, which yeah. you have as the title of this. Right. Um, of our episode today, which I think is very important that we point that out. Um, how? Yeah, go ahead, Lacey. Yeah, no. And I was going to say, you know, the other thing you, you mentioned this, um, that workers were used as a commodity to be bought by the owner of capital and not essentially different from any other commodity uh, on the market. And mm -hmm. it was to be used to its fullest capacity by the buyer. So that's where the exploitation kind of comes in. And that really reminds me a lot of our first season and what we talked about. Man um, is not a thing like having and being um, and us turning men, turning humans. When we say man, we're talking about humans, um, turning, turning humans into things, you know, instead right. of you know stripping us of our humanity, basically. Right. And I think it's the line here that I want to read is that he says, the fact remains the same that a man, a living human being, yes. ceases to be an end in himself yeah. and becomes the means for the economic interests of another man or himself or of an impersonal giant, the economic machine. So good. I think that if you were to ask me after now having read from for a while, if you were to ask me, Lacey, how do you really describe mm -hmm. freedom? I would say it's when man gets lives in a way that he's a means to his own end. Mm -hmm. so he's not living in this way. He's not living in a way that he is the means for the economic interests of another man. Um, because then your life is controlled by someone else. Correct. Um, and, and it's interesting because Fromm does point out that there's uh, objections to this, to this statement, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, one could say that you're a voluntary participant, like you could accept or decline a contract. Yeah. But he says um, this ignores the fact that in the first place, he has no, man has no choice but to accept the existing conditions. And secondly, that even if you were, were not forced to accept these conditions, he would still be employed, that is made use of. Of for purposes not his own, but of the capital yes. of whose profit he serves. Yeah, why? Because of the societal structure. And that's where we get the first part of the title, which is false choices. It's a false choice. Oh, well, no, it's not. <laughs> People will say, oh, but no, it's a choice. You can choose not to work or you can choose to work. No, fuck that. That's not true. You can't choose not to work. No, you can't. You want to eat and live. <laughs> That's just not how it works. Now, for people who come from a very, you know, um, well-to-do family or background or what have you, maybe mm -hmm. that is a reality, but that is a small percentage of the population. It's not the majority of the population. 
Right. And then the second objection he talks about is a, that there's a certain amount of social cooperation yeah. that the person has to fulfill. But And he says, well, that's true. We are ignoring the fact that in a society where no person has power over another, each person fulfills his functions on the basis co of cooperation and mutuality. No one can command another person except yeah. in so far as a relationship. And so he gives a lot of examples how our society is today. He, he points out that in certain relationships, no one would dare to think of commanding the other person. So I look at that as, you know, when you're looking at a work environment, that's very different than an arrangement of a relationship, for example. Yeah. I mean, what it boils down to is it's people doing these things because they really want to from a place of interior motivation, not exterior obligation. And so that makes a huge difference in one's quality of life because it's like when we had Melissa Bernstein on, she says most of the anxiety that we see is because we are disconnected from our authentic selves. Our authentic selves don't aren't allowed to, you know, we're not allowed to really be our, our authentic selves as much whenever we have, when we have these exterior obligations that are driving us in our decisions. But whenever we have a society that functions based on cooperation and mutuality, where we do things because we choose to, where we have the autonomy to do them. Now that's different. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I hear you. He um, says that a little later on, too. He says the only reason for expecting his help in that type of situation lies in the mutual feeling of love, friendship, or just simply human solidarity. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, the other the other line that is so good when he's discussing the use of man by man is how capital employs labor, the living vitality and power of the present. And in capitalistic hierarchy of values, I thought that was so good. The capital stands higher than labor. Yeah. That the person who owns capital commands the person who only owns his life. Mm -hmm. Only owns his life. Yeah. So basically the dead, um, the thing is yeah, higher than the living, the right. human. So it's like the human being who owns himself, uh, is not as powerful as capital a thing, which which tells me that we've basically gotten ourselves into the situation where we actually don't have autonomy over our lives anymore. We've created these things. And now the, these things that we've created basically rule and control and direct and lead our lives. You're right. It goes back to what you said that if you had to describe um, what freedom was. I think that's really good where we go, where it ceases to, where a living human being ceases to be an in, in himself and becomes, I mean, that's the best line yeah. to kind of sum up from and becomes mm -hmm. the mean for means for the economic interests of another man. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's the theme of like you're saying of things, mm -hmm. their amassment in the world of life and its productivity. Right. You know, it's the conflict between those is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Between yes. the two principles of values. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. That's the little section I was going to read uh, that little sentence there that the conflict between capital and labor is much more than the conflict between two classes. Uh, it's actually the conflict between two principles of value, which if we stop for a second, we think about, OK, what does that actually mean? What does that mean? That actually means that 
our society is set up on specific values. And here's the two competing values between that, between the world of things mm -hmm. and their amassment. So just getting shit stuff, just a bunch yeah. of stuff. <laughs> and production and consumption is another way to say that, or the world of life and its productivity. So like living, being, experiencing, and actually producing, not in the, the capitalistic, 21st century capitalistic sense of the word, but in the, my, uh, my mind, my heart, my body, my, you know, life, my livelihood, myself is connected and alive as a being. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right there. Um, yeah. We have, we're really far from that, but uh, that's kind of the th all theme of all of the things that we've left starting to have or to be, right? Yeah. Um, the other part of this that gets really interesting is authority. Yes. He speaks about the rational and irrational authority. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's cool. Go ahead. do you want to give a, the example no. of what between rational and irrational? I can, or if you want to, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, the one that stood really strong for me was rational authority. He gives mm -hmm. an example of a teacher and a student um, where the teacher would have rational authority over the student. And as time goes, the student would be learning more. So it would be get closer to what the teacher's knowledge is. Whereas if you have a slave and a master, that's the irrational authority. There's always going to be that, you know, distinction between the slave and the master. Right. And the idea of rational authority is that at some point you're not going to need that anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to disappear. It's going to dissolve. It's going yeah. to dissolve. Right. Let me see if there's something here. I have a couple things underlined that I really wanted to share on that. Um, any social system in which one group of the population is commanded by another, especially if the latter is a minority, must be based on a strong sense of authority, a sense which is increased in a strongly patriarchal society where the male sex is supposed to be superior to and in control of the female sex. We haven't talked about the patriarchy at all, have we, Sonia? No. <laughs> <laughs> authority refers to an interpersonal relation in which one person looks upon another as somebody superior to him, but there's a fundamental difference between a kind of superior superiority-inferiority relation which can be called rational authority mm -hmm. and one which may be described as inhibiting or irrational authority. So the inhibiting is the irrational and then the rational is the one that's not. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And so to your point um, that you were saying earlier, like in a rational kind of authority, the strength of emotional ties will tend to decrease in direct proportion to the degree in which the person subjected to the authority becomes stronger and thereby more similar to the authority, mm. which is how I was explaining what, between the teacher and the student, because or you could say, as the time goes yeah. by, there's a graduation of the of their knowledge. Like they get closer, as opposed to other relationships where there's always going to be the distinction of, um, you know, uh, between as I said, like a slave and a master. That's cool, and you know what that reminds me of. Um, motherhood and the goal of motherhood as to let the child go mm -hmm. and uh and our that episode that we did on um the challenges of american motherhood yes 
but yes, I think that would be a great uh, example of like, you know, a rational authority, the, the parent, like the goal over time is to let go and them not to need the, the parent anymore, you know, Correct. at least not in the same ways. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he gives the example like the slave owner, on the other hand, wants to exploit the slave as much as possible. The more he gets out of him, the more he is satisfied. And so there you have that superiority that you were talking about before with the with the relationship um, and, where authority is, has that level of superiority over the, you know, over the slave. Sorry, go ahead. Right. No, 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 no. no, and I was going to say it's also there's a antagonism in, in yes, irrational yes, authority. Mm -hmm which I thought that's a very interesting and in a rational authority, there's not that sense of um, antagonism included. Right. And there's resentment and hostility that comes with the, uh, the irrational authority. Yes, yes, yes. Where the other type of authority, you can have admiration, gratitude, um, love. They're, they're very different. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense too, because sure. if you're actually empowering me to learn and grow and I'm doing it and you're not holding me back, man, of course I'm going to feel super gratitude, you know, super, um, you know, much of admiration and a connection, a human connection, you know? Yeah. And he goes on to say that in the 19th century, um, we have a mix actually between rational and irrational authority. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he actually gives an example that um, the character of society was a hierarchical one. It wasn't like uh, a feudal society, but it was more on the ownership of capital. Those who owned it could buy and thus command the labor of those who did not. And the latter had to obey under penalty mm -hmm. of starvation. Hmm. So there was a blending between the new and the old. Yeah. Um, but he does talk about that obedience is still one of the fundamental um, virtues and disobedience, one of the elementary vices during that time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting what you say, uh, under penalty of starvation. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that remains in 21st century capitalism where we are today. Oh, yeah. You you know, there, there wasn't that in the feudal system in 17th and 18th century capitalism. We didn't see that. You know, like there was a common uh, decency, a human solidarity, a care for others in a way that that wasn't a thing. A penalty of starvation was not a thing, like because we're all human beings here. Right. And, you know, it's I, I didn't realize he talks about during. Well, obviously, then you have the Reformation Renaissance where a man is starting to rely on his own reason. And he does talk about, you know, man's, the difference between right and wrong, how it was very important to men. They had sort of a pride of, you know, how they looked at themselves. And he also brings up the point historically that I didn't realize that we even succeeded to be the most peaceful time between 1814 and 1914. That was one of the most peaceful periods history has huh. ever known. Right. Which, that's a hundred years of, you know, of peacefulness which is quite an accomplishment. Hmm. That is quite an accomplishment. However, he does go on to begin to mention what happens in 20th century yes. capitalism. <laughs> and he says that if you kind of take a look at it based on the changes that were made, 
you would think we would have achieved a saner society. However, um, we don't see that. The world in the middle of the 20th century is mentally sicker than it was in the 19th century. Um, Indeed, we are not in danger of becoming slaves anymore, but of becoming robots. That's an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, it's so, so what I find fascinating, okay, if you look at all this, he really talks about going through these centuries. If you're in the 19th century talking about reform, uh, also in the beginning of the 20th century, and he does talk about how we, we kind of move forward in all these um, things that we're trying to master, like we become less, uh, we don't have this whole hierarchical structure, mm-hmm. you know, people are supposedly, they have more rights, like with labor, labor unions. And so you're mm-hmm. thinking there's more prosperity. There mm-hmm. is more sexual freedom. There's more political freedom. But yeah. from says we're still mentally sicker than we were in the 19th century. And so that's what's really interesting because there was this expectation, like he said, Marx could have never imagined how far we would come. But even yeah. though there's this progression, we don't get to where we need to be. And I thought that was quite remarkable because there is a progression, but we don't achieve what we're, what we need to achieve to have man not be a thing as you're saying. Yeah. And, and do you know, um, just from your, and I, I feel like I did know this, but I don't recall like Mm -hmm. kind of what he's insinuating here that we're missing in- oh, do I think that he, what he's insinuating that what we are missing? Well, what we're missing from the 19th to the 20th, we thought it was going to all go right. Right. And it was going to be we were going to solve that. And then the 20th century were, were worse um, than the 19th century. So I'm wondering if you know what he's kind of pointing to that we're we're missing. And that's OK if you don't. But I'm just trying mm, to. Remember. I have my thoughts, but let's hear what you're saying, Lacey. I, 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 I don't, I don't recall. I don't, that's why I'm asking you. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I would say because what I'd say what he's saying we're missing is what we started on the to have or to be is that we, we're missing the fact like just in the very beginning, well, actually the title of this is that we're looking at Mm. man as a thing as opposed to a being, which we could bring in love. We could bring, there's so many aspects of that, but we've lost sight of the fact that, you know, just, you know, that man in and of itself is a goal, what we were saying earlier, mm-hmm. because we've seen the transformation of all the uses of man, mm-hmm. as opposed to being being in existence, just man in and of itself, that's the end goal, you know, and as we know, we've talked about that, that unless you're producing, unless you're right. more, uh, part of this machine. So, I mean, I think it's, it, it can get, you can really boil down. I mean, productivity, he actually talks about productivity, but productivity from a different perspective mm-hmm. than I think than what we're trying to say, the productivity yeah. of just being a human being, not the productivity of I've got to make these 10,000 pens. Right. Right. Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the idea of productivity in its truest, most genuine form is that of a personal growth and transformation, a presence in the moment, a connection with other people, a being. And that is precisely what's gotten lost 
in the 19th, you know, century capitalism, 20, 21st century capitalism. Um, and then of course the idea of productivity, the even definition of it has been changed as a result of that, of our socioeconomic structure. So I, I've, I'm a like purist in the form of like the word productivity actually doesn't mean you made a lot of money this month right? <laughs> or you did a lot of shit this month or right. you worked a lot of hours. It actually means like I'm feeling alive. I'm in touch with myself in my, and I can like feel what's happening in my body. I'm connected. I'm present in my body. I'm in touch with my emotions. I can tell you what my emotions are. Whenever I get upset about something, I can understand what it is and not take it out on other people. Um, and, and that can provide for a way different quality of life when it comes to relationships. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to learn as we move through this, um, for everybody's the same society as we move through uh, his writings, but he says we have to recognize the specific pathological problems of our time mm. in order to arrive at a vision of that, which is necessary to save the Western world from an increasing insanity. And so he goes on to say that it's, he's going to go on to diagnose this and yeah. to tell us, I think we're going to learn more what his specific ideas are. Those were just my thoughts of, what we know so far in our reading of From. I love it. Yeah. And I appreciate you mentioning, I thought about that, that anybody knew who might be listening. We're taking from uh, Eric Fromm's The Sane Society, one of several books that he wrote um, when he was alive between 1900 and 1980. So lots of foresight that he had um, mm -hmm. about what life was doing and what life was like um, at the time. So um, yeah, that's where we're taking this from. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of his diagnosis in which is going to be, uh, I'm sure we'll partially talk about it in the next episode. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Um, we look forward to seeing you next time on the Rethinking Humanity podcast. Bye guys. Bye. -bye.